morning. It's the second Friday of January, January 8th, and right now you're listening to Talking About Art. And this very spacey music is kind of apropos for this morning's broadcast. On this morning's program, I re-air the interview I did with the author of the book, Good Morning Midnight, by Lily Brooks Dalton. This interview highlights her book as the chosen book for the third annual Salem Reads event, which took place in February of 2018. Just recently, her book was made into a movie retitled Midnight Sky, starring George Clooney and Felicity Jones. It is now out to the public, and I'll touch base about that toward the end of this morning's broadcast. Now, in addition to that interview, on the same broadcast, I interviewed the artists of Salem Reads. These are all local artists who ta- whose task it was to read the book and interpret what they read into works of art which were displayed at the library during the month-long Salem Reads event at the main public library. This year, there is a new book and a new Salem Reads event for the month of February, the book is titled Walking with Petey by Eric O'Gray. I interviewed Eric this week, and I'll be featuring that interview along with this year's artists on the January 22nd show of this month. But more about all of that at the end of the broadcast. Talking About Art is presented every second and fourth Fridays of the month. And it's the mission of Talking About Art to be a resource for artists and all those who relish and support the arts in our community. Through our programming, I wish to provide in-depth interviews and stories about the artists, writers, and poets of our community. And we reach a potential listening audience of over 300,000. We've been broadcasting Talking About Art for over seven years now, with some 200-plus broadcasts in the KMUZ archives, and they are, they are all about Mid-Willamette Valley artists. One thing to note, the KMUZ studios have been temporarily closed uh, due to this COVID-19 thing. So in the meantime, I'm re-airing past broadcasts that I thought you might find interesting. And please note, coming up is a rebroadcast from 2018, so any of the events and time information that may be announced, well, that's no longer valid. So here you go. This is the interview I did with the author of the book, Good Morning Midnight, by Lily Brooks Dalton. This interview highlights her book as the chosen book for the third annual Salem Reads event, which took place in February of 2018. Listen in. So today, it's all about the third annual month-long Salem Reads One Book, One Community event. For this year, the organizers of Salem Reads chose the book Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. I had the interview, the opportunity to interview Lily for the first half of the show today, and you'll hear a part of that interview. The second half of the show is all about the artists of Salem Reads. Artists were encouraged to read Good Morning Midnight and create artwork which reflected their personal interpretations of the book. So first, the interview with Lily Brooks Dalton. I centered on various elements of the story, the origins of the title, and why it was that there's a comma in that title, by the way, why the desolate settings of the Arctic and the end end of uh, interstellar space, and an interesting part about a wolf that ventures into the pages. And I question if the book actually makes an ecological statement about, say, global warming or other notion. You may be surprised by Lily's answer. And, of course, I had to ask the burning question, what happened to the Earth? Here's a brief synopsis of the book, Good Morning Midnight. Augustine is one of the world's top astronomers. In his late 70s, he is completing a final research project stationed at Barbeau Observatory in the Arctic. The landscape that matched his interior. Having neglected uh, all his loved ones in the pursuit of scientific knowledge, Augustine, Augie, finds himself alone in the polar tundra after refusing to be evacuated with other scientists during a global emergency. 
Soon after he's left alone, he finds a young girl, Iris, who appears to have been inadvertently left behind. As the two attempt to adjust to life as quite possibly the last humans on Earth, another uh, story unfolds millions of miles away. The six-person crew of the Ether, a manned space mission to Jupiter, is on its way back to Earth after a successful trip to study the giant planet. Sullivan, Sully, the woman astronaut in charge of communications, must try to figure out why all signals from the Earth have been suddenly uh, cut off. Like Augie, she has also jettisoned family for science. However, as the parallel narratives upspool, unspool, both Augie and Sully find solace in their austere locales and in the relationships they forge, forge with their companions at the edges of the world. So here we go. This is the interview I did with uh, Lily Brooks Dalton. The title, by its punctuation with that comma, seems to address mm. uh, something that, that begs the question, who is Midnight? Now, what, what is your expl explanation for the title, and where did that come from? It's originally from an Emily Dickinson poem, which is a beautiful poem. I wish I had it in front of me so I could share a few lines with you. Then um, the author, Jean Rice, used it um, as the title for her novel, um, which was published in the early 1900s, I believe. And she used the Emily Dickinson poem um, in the front of the book. And, you know, I came across it via the poem, but then also read the novel and just felt like there was such a beautiful conversation um, between female authors happening kind of across time. And um, at first was really hesitant to, to take that title as my own just because it seemed to have such a rich history and kind of a kind of a bold um, thing to do. Uh, I, I originally wanted to, to find a title that felt or that was, in fact, original. Um, but, you know, the more I went into the editing process, the more it became clear that it was the only title for the book. Um, why, and, why, why is that? Why is that the only title for the book? How is it that you came, came to that conclusion? Um, I don't know that I have a logical answer for that question. It is more, it's more of an intuitive choice. You know, there were a couple other titles that I was throwing around and none of them felt right. Um, I think I was calling it the midnight sun for a while. Um, I think there were a few others at one point. I think I wanted to call it the Electromagnetic Symphony, and my agent was like, no, <laughs> um, fair enough. And, um, yeah, in the end, it's just, I think for me, the thing about that title is it evokes such a mood, such a quiet, um, dark, beautiful um feeling it, uh, for me that um th and that's you know that's the feeling of the book so it was just the right fit so what was the inspiration for the austere settings of space and, and the arctic hmm. well uh when i first started working with the idea. I, I started with the Arctic originally, and, and space was sort of a piece of the puzzle that came later. Um, but when I began thinking about it, I was working at a public radio station, actually, in um, western Massachusetts, um, where we get a good amount of snow. And, you know, I grew up in Vermont. Snow is just um, part of winter for me. Um, but the when I started thinking about the book, I think we were going through a particularly rough winter. Um, and I was striking up a friendship with the um, chief engineer at the radio station. And um, he was telling me about how during blizzards, someone has to be in charge of making sure that the dish is clear so that the, you know, the radio signal can travel, isn't muffled by the snow as it accumulates. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's snowing overnight, that means that someone has to stay in the radio station overnight. Um, and that 
was kind of the moment where I started thinking about, wow, this big, empty building, um, no everywhere, no one around. What must that be like? Um, and then, and then, you know, as a, as a fiction writer, I wanted to kind of push it a little further. Like, what if there's, it's just night all the time and <laughs> the snow never ends and never melts. And so that's how I found myself thinking about the Arctic. Um, and then, you know, from the very beginning, I knew I wanted it to be a book about isolation, um, at its, at its core about isolation and, you know, the inverse of that connection. And, um, so that got me thinking about, okay, well, if I put this character all alone in this completely desolate environment, who's he going to talk to? Um, and so that's how the other pieces of the book started to come into focus, both Iris, the girl that is with him at the observatory, and then also the astronauts who are mm-hmm. in outer space. And how how did you make that, that uh, leap into space? Where, where did that come in? Um, well, I, I was really interested in um, radio engineering and in ham radio specifically. Um, and was doing a lot of research about um, long-distance ham, you know, using sky waves to kind of bounce bounce a signal around the world. And then I started reading about um, communicating with the International Space Station um, on some really basic ham radio setups and realizing that that was um, not only a possibility, but just not even that hard to do. Um, and, and that's, that's what kind of launched my brain into space was just, just, um, discovering that that was possible and, and thinking, wow, how cool. I wonder, I wonder what kind of story that, um, earth to space conversation could yield. I can't help but imagine that uh, the Arctic uh, and space are metaphors, metaphors for the individual's lives and their relationships, and it certainly becomes a foil, as it were, for describing, you know, the uh, their their desolation and their their relationship. Am I correct in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when I was writing, I was thinking of the settings as though intrinsic to the interior lives of the characters um, Mm -hmm. that they, yeah, they're kind of the stars at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, and and both environments are so austere and so threatening. Mm -hmm. It's easy to imagine, you know, the introspection that would occur with with both uh, Sully and with with Augie uh, in, in both of their roles. And it's curious how, you know, and I won't uh, divulge the, the ending of the book, but it's curious how the the similarities in their lives, the similarities in their relationships, and how they come together at the end. I find that really, really fascinating. And the fact that the backdrop of this, the, the austerity of space and the austerity of, of the Arctic um, are, are the the backdrop for, for both of their lives. I find that really fascinating. And it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, author's approach to making, in this case, your point. Um, for me, it was really important that both of those settings, those landscapes, um, were so desolate, but also so beautiful. You know, I think that the um, the two sides of of you know the the violence of nature, mm-hmm. um, and also its incredible like awe-inspiring beauty and and allowing those things to coexist um, Mm -hmm. was a really important piece of thinking about how I wanted to portray Mm -hmm. both of those settings. I'm curious about the role of the wolf in the story. That came Mm. as a surprise to me. How did that come about? I'm not sure how that came about, to be quite honest. It just sort of popped into the the chapter. Um, I didn't really see it coming. I, I knew that I wanted Augustine to 
be interacting with nature in different ways throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And I think the moment with the wolf for me ended up being about him arriving at a new way of interacting with nature. So he ends up killing this wolf because he finds it threatening and then realizing that maybe it wasn't as threatening as he thought it was and feeling deep sadness and maybe some shame about that. And I don't think that there was anything wrong with what he did or um, or his reaction to it. And so, again, it's kind of um, was maybe for me a way of working through the polarity of a landscape like that, which is so threatening and yet is also also can be gentle. I mean, gosh, I don't know if I can call the Arctic gentle, but um, <laughs> But, you know, just like the two sides of that coin, wanting to um, show Augustine struggling with how to interact with the world in general and how to interact with this specific landscape, this specific animal, how he behaved, the actions that he took, but also the emotions that they, you know, they inspired, um, I think, for Augustine as a character it's really the emotional experience that is um, the toughest for him to manage. Mm -hmm. so I wanted to, to create a scenario in which um, he could really have something to struggle with. The wolf struck me as a metaphor for the violence and how relationships can oftentimes be misread, that the signals can become crossed and lives can be torn apart, you know, as a, as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think there's, there's some good reasons as to why we do that. You know, I think that within the metaphor, you know, you encounter a, a carnivorous animal in a desolate environment and you are correct to be wary. It's not the wrong reaction. And yet, it's never black and white, you know, it's never one or the other. There's always nuance there. There's always a number of different ways that you can deal with scenarios slash relationships, depending on where we are in the metaphor. Is the entire thrust of the of the of the story, is it an, an illusion? to an ecological statement, your own personal ecological statement? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I think if a reader found that in the book, then that's great. Um, that wasn't a conscious statement that I was trying to make. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but it's something that I'm thinking about a lot more consciously with my next book. Um, so perhaps there was some sort of um, something brewing beneath the surface of this last one that is now coming to the forefront and what I'm working on these days. Let me ask you a very blunt question. What happened to the earth? <laughs> um, I love that question and I don't answer it because, <laughs> <laughs> because for me, um, and I understand how frustrating that is to some readers. Um, for me, I really wanted to write a book, a post-apocalyptic book that wasn't concerned with the apocalypse itself. I knew pretty quickly that I, that that was just not information that I wanted my reader to be given. So my goal was to give the reader a different mystery, um, a different twist, a different answer at the end, mm -hmm. um, which hopefully was satisfying to them and sort of illuminated in some ways my decision to not give the answer of what happened to Earth, hmm. to, you know, recenter the reader's gaze on what the important piece of what's important about the story that I was telling. What's next for you? You you alluded to another book, but um, mm -hmm. can you tell us just a bit about that book? And beyond that, what else is, is up there for you? Uh, 
yeah, I'm working on another book right now, um, which is, um, let's see, I don't want to say too much about it just because I'm so in the middle of it, and sometimes that um, takes the wind out of my sails, but um, it's much more about the environment. Um, it's set in Florida, so it's a, a different kind of setting than I've worked with before. Um, and um, it's about a family of line workers um, who are the folks that work on the power lines um, and, uh, you know, turn the power back on when the, the hurricanes wipe it out mm-hmm. um, just to minimize a very complex trade. But... Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. And um, aside from that, um, uh, you know, a couple other, a couple other, I, I live in L.A. now, you understand. So, um, of course, there are, there's always the inclination to um, see if another form, maybe a movie or a TV show is a good fit. Well, there you go. We may never find out what catastrophe occurred on Earth, but then again, perhaps Lily will explain it all in her forthcoming new book about linemen in Florida picking up the pieces after a hurricane. During the interview, I threw out another possibility. Maybe nothing disastrous occurred on the Earth at all. Maybe it's a man-made problem that has just simply cut all modern means of communications, and the Earth is humming along just fine. Thank you very much. But if you've got your own idea about what happened, here's an opportunity for you. Tuesday, January 29th, is a deadline for submitting your own uh, take on what happened. It's the Salem Reads Writing Challenge. For any teen or adult who, who read Good Morning Midnight and thought, but what happened next, this is a challenge to write an epilogue that wraps up the story in whatever way you think or hope it could end. Entries should be no longer than 1,500 words. Teen and adult entries will be judged separately with winners announced and prizes awarded at the Author Talk and Book Signing event with Lily Brooks Dalton on February 28th. So there you go. It's the Salem Reads Writing Challenge. You've got only until Tuesday, January 29th, 8 p.m., to uh, jot out something of 1,500 words, and it's your own personal take on what occurred with the Earth, or maybe nothing occurred with the Earth. One final note, at the end of the interview, I joked that I had Steven Spielberg on hold, and he's waiting to hear her top pick to play Augustine in the upcoming movie. Her choice, Ed Harris. Hmm. Yeah, how about We also talked about who, the, who Sully was going to be as well, and Sigourney Weaver popped up on that one, <laughs> although I think that that may not really be the better choice. Um, so the second part of the show this morning is all about the artists of Salem Reads. Artists were encouraged to read Good Morning Midnight and create artwork that were that was their personal interpretations of the book. Of the book. So this morning we've got Eric West, Diane Trevet, Kara Pilcher, uh, Isadora Solis, and uh, Glenda Goodrich. All five of them here on the on microphones this morning. Good morning to you all. How are you doing? Good morning. Very good. good morning. Nice to be here. Well, um, Diane, I'm going to start with you because you were one of the organizers for the, for the event for the artists. How did you, you find that? Uh, well, I was approached by, maybe it was Kara, um, who's here, who's been involved in uh, the Salem, um, the Lake Oswego reads for quite a few years. But, um, yeah, I, I am... Uh, a board member of Artists in Action for a founding member, and so people know I know a lot of artists, and uh, I think that's partly why I I was asked to, You're to organize. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. How long have you been working on it? On this this year's? Yeah. Is uh, it an all year all year round event that you have to plan for? Um, not really. I I start in August September mm-hmm. uh, when we start. Uh, Choosing the artist and getting the word out and getting the book out. Mm-hmm. How many how many showing artists do we have this year? We have sixteen this year. So uh, one piece only, or yeah, pieces? just just one piece. Yeah. Okay. Is the art up for sale as well? It is for sale uh, if the artist chooses it to be. Yeah. 
And it's located where? First of all, it's at the main library, right? And just just there, the yeah, exhibition. Yeah, it's right in the center of the library. Um, they have the nice panels that they put up. Um, so it's right in the center, and it's, it's a good location. Everyone can see it. Hmm. Did Did everyone create... A new piece of work based on the book, or did they, or did some artists have work that they've they've already gotten uh, created? And I believe it's all all new work. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, because you know they read the book and the idea is to uh, do their interpretation mm-hmm. of the story. And is there going to be awards or what? what no. What happens? No. Here? No. Okay. No awards. Okay. Uh, no, we haven't. Maybe that'll come up in the future. Mm-hmm. It's a nice idea. But it's a jury in show, am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes, we've we've juried in the the artists. How about how many pieces were were submitted uh, to finally get down to sixteen pieces? Uh, well, it really wasn't uh, decided by how many pieces. It was the number of artists based on the the space we have at the library. Mm-hmm. How many pieces we can show, mm-hmm. and so that determined the number. Of artists, and uh, you know, as I, I was asked to choose artists that produced uh, quality work, work that was uh, engaging and uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, they're yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, the show is up now. Uh, how long does it go? Uh, actually, the sh- the show uh, starts this Tuesday night oh, okay. with the reception. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it we'll we'll, we'll be hanging it on Monday mm-hmm. coming up, and it'll be up and for the whole month of February mm-hmm. uh, through the twenty eighth, I believe. And the reception when when is that? Yeah, that's this coming Tuesday, the twenty ninth, mm-hmm. um, five thirty, right, right in in the main floor of the library. Cool. All right, and uh, the the other four folks, um, all four of you, have work in the in the in the show. Kara, let me start with you. What 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 did you produce? Well, I produced a painting that I called. I played with the title, and my painting was "Good Night Morning" with "morning" spelled M O U R N I N G, because I felt that. Each of the characters, the the two main characters, um, were going through a lot of angst in their lives of trying to figure out their meaning and longing for relationships and thinking about relationships that had fa- that had yeah failed in their apart. life. Yeah, and so. Um, they, I think they reached a point where they had kind of forgiven themselves and come to peace with maybe some errors that they felt that they had done in their life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but my painting itself is, is, I have a tendency to want to put everything in the book in the painting. And so mine starts out with, it's kind of a, uh, landscape of the whole story, but it's an Arctic landscape. And the uh, steps start out with Augie's footsteps that turn into bear tracks, mm. and they go past a snow angel that Iris made, which is kind of a memory of of his mm-hmm. his memory of his little girl that he had abandoned. And then it leads up past wolves and a polar bear and then up into the Aurora Borealis that has a lot of images of what they were dealing with. Mm. Wow. What size is this? Uh, it's small. We're asked to do something relatively small that um, so there's plenty of space. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's about a quarter sheet of watercolor paper. Oh, really? Okay. All right. A frame six. Uh, 20 by 16. Hmm. And Isadora, you're from Chile, and you are here as an exchange student for the year, and this is um, kind of a new new approach, a new new thing for you, am I right? Yes, indeed. All right. What, what, did, you, what did you create? Um, well, I was going personally more for like a 
a feeling um, that I like find myself very familiar to, like in the wolf scene that was like so unexpected and so unnatural. Um, so like, as far as I know, there's no wolves in the Arctic. Mm-hmm. First of all, that's an anomaly, and um, y- you ask yourself if that's even real. But <laughs> I'm getting off track. Um, I was going for the feeling of like trying to protect someone and doing a horrible thing mm-hmm. for it, and having to face the consequences and like deal with how that person views you now. That was like very meaningful for me, mm-hmm. and um, I I wasn't that shocked by it when I was reading it. I was like like kind of refreshing seeing it because I could relate to it like so far uh, when I was reading the book I could not really relate to Augustine's uh, like disassociated like being so cold and distant I mean yeah (laughs) and um well, I was, I was, and you could tell, you know, that was one of my my questions to uh, to the author about about the wolf, where it came from, because yeah. it just seemed like it was like, <clears throat> pardon me, like right out of the blue, here's boom, you got a wolf, yeah. and uh, so apparently that's that was her inspiration as well. It just came right out of the blue. Yes. But the way I read that, and especially the way the the wolf was killed, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this completely mixed signals. You know, the wolf was not being ferocious, being protective, you know, and, and all of that. And he ups and, and just, you know, uh, uh, kills it yeah. like that. I, I'm just going, you know, this is really a, a strange metaphor for the way we handle relationships. Yes, and exactly. It, in, his, in his own life, the way he handled this relationship, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So I think me being a teenager, I can relate that to, like, parenting. Ah, yes. Like, <laughs> you know, parents fighting... Mm-hmm. <laughs> for like the protection of the child and like thinking what's best for them and all of that but yeah I don't see really how much like how else it could mean anything else mm-hmm. it definitely yeah. has to do something with relationships yeah parents what are you going to do <laughs> <laughs> Glenda Glenda Goodrich uh, yeah. what what did you create for the for the show uh, I created a mixed media piece. It's a, also an Arctic landscape, mm-hmm. probably about 16 wide, 12 high. And it features um indigo blue sky with kind of a luminescent moon and the aurora borealis floating kind of through. Oh, wow. And then an icy mountainous ridge, mm-hmm. lots of texture in the foreground to simulate the water he ended up, Augie ended up moving to a lake, Lake Hazen, I think it was called, which I loved that hmm. hazy implication. So it is rather hazy and melancholy in my um, work with the texture. Then in the foreground is, what I guess, sort of a benevolent-looking polar bear, because there's also a polar bear featured right. in the story, and he actually dies I think probably imagining that mm-hmm. he's in the arms of this polar bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is the polar bear there and the child is sleeping on its back. Mm-hmm. The little girl in the red coat, Iris. Mm-hmm. And I called it Dreaming of Iris because in the book, I this was my interpretation that that was just completely imaginary. There was no child ever there. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's very... Over the child and the bear, it's sort of dreamlike. Mm-hmm. I did some dry brushing, so it looks almost like there's a web, a dreamscape kind of with that. So it was, I loved reading the book and imagining what I might create from all of the different uh, locations and events. And uh, and I'm just so drawn to landscapes. That's yeah. my thing. You know, well, you know that's you make an interesting point because as stark as the Arctic is, you know, and the way it was described in the book, it's it's curious how it also um, creates this incredible palette, you know. Yes. 
all white, but suddenly, you know, the colors and that whiteness simply becomes a backdrop mm-hmm. to to what can be created from that. Mm-hmm. And so this stark desert-like landscape suddenly blooms and it blossoms into something absolutely incredible. And I just find that, that juxtaposition really, really odd, for one thing, but fascinating all at the yeah. same time. Yeah, so. it is. Now, you mentioned mixed media. What what mm-hmm. what all is involved in, in the image then? There's acrylic painting mm-hmm. um, that almost looks like watercolor in a way, and a lot of tissue, colored tissue paper. I work a lot with bleeding art tissue that you can manipulate and form into sort of crevices and interesting oh. textural elements for the eye. One of my objectives as an artist is for somebody to look at it and go, how did she do that? Uh. How did she create that? And I also, believe it or not, put some glitter in it, which I then toned down a bit with a wash over it so it's not quite so glitzy. Glittery, yeah. Didn't want too much <laughs> bling. On the other hand, you know, that ice reflection of light on ice is very, very mm-hmm. glittery and, and um, kind of hypnotic. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. It was fun to make. Yeah. Eric, Eric West, what did you make for the show? I've been uh, doing a lot more with printmaking lately. And so oh, really? I did uh, an intaglio uh, print, 5 by 7 and uh, it's copper plate that uh, I engrave into with a, a pen that has a little diamond tip on it. And everywhere where there's a line or a mark uh, fills with uh, the ink and run it through a press and with a piece of paper on it. And uh, the things that get wiped off stay white. The things that stay dark end up printing. So, um, and this is the image. Um, again, uh, I was drawn to the uh, that image of Augie uh, and the polar bear at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, <clears throat> reading the book, it was hard to find something for me to visualize that, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, uh, <laughs> that there was something uh, positive out of this whole idea. You know, my, my, I don't know if you remember, uh, a six, a 1960s movie, black and white was called on the beach. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's a bunch of people in Australia waiting for the cloud of nuclear dust to come down and kill everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's kind of where I was Pretty at. Heartwarming. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of where I was starting from when I started to read this book. And, so um, I needed something a little more, not upbeat, but something just a little more peaceful. And mm-hmm. so my image is a, is goes back to that polar bear with Augie under its arm, and they're looking like they're sleeping, and it's called mm-hmm. Sweet Dreams. Oh, and, wow. Uh, for me, uh, my parents are both gone now, but, you know, that was a, a thing for us at night was to... They were Swiss, and they said, "Good night, schlaf gut, dream sweet," which was "Good night, dream sweet." Oh wow! And uh, uh, for me, it was sort of a non-denom- non-denominational blessing on however the story turns out uh, mm-hmm. that the two of them are there, and they're both—I uh, <laughs> don't know if they've got smiles on their faces, but it's. I hope it'll be a pleasing image for people to look at it and not one that's distressing. Mm. Yeah. Um, kind of free game here. Um, what did everybody think of the, of, of the mystery that, that she invoked in, in the book, uh, where you got all the way down to the final page and we have still no idea as to what is occurring in the background with the earth or with communications or anything like that? Was that kind of a letdown for everybody? Not at all. I think it was pretty, like, experimental mm-hmm. and actually very nice. Hmm. Yeah. Anybody? You know, is, I, yeah. Glenda? When, when I remember when I finished the book, I was thinking of that real K poem is just be comfortable with the questions themselves. Don't always need an answer. <laughs> right, yeah. There's so much intrigue in the mystery. And I thought maybe that was what she was shooting for, although she didn't say anything about that so much in the interview, but I rather liked it. Yeah. 
because I didn't want to know. <laughs> you know I, yeah. I sort of was back and forth about it. It took me about, you know, when I finished the book, it took me about a day of banging around in the, in the back of my head. And then I, I finally settled on the idea that it, I thought it was good that she didn't divulge, you know, because it would have yeah, would have closed the thing, mm-hmm. you know, if nothing else, you know, and, and it would have cheapened, I think, the effect mm-hmm. Uh, it would would be the way that I would describe it. What what about the ecological, or I should say, the non-ecological statement? Um, it, when when you look at at the lineup, for example, uh, with all of the Salem Reads events, many of those are having to do with climate issues or uh, uh, earth use issues and that sort of thing. And yet here, in the, during the interview, she says, "No, nope, no ecological statement here." Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think about all of that? It's it's interesting when an artist creates something, um, they may or may not have some kind of message that they want to send in that artwork, but uh, it's always interesting to find when you put it out there in public mm-hmm. and the feedback you get from people, uh, their stories uh, that they share of how that piece of work you know the story they came up with. Uh, it's like an ongoing conversation where you just started it, mm-hmm. and other people start to take it and run with it. Yeah, and there will be things that you had no intention of uh, being in that visual artwork or in that writing that the other people will read it and fill in the spaces with their own experiences and make something completely new out of it, something the artist never probably intended. I I have to agree. There have been several times where I'll have work on display and uh, poets are invited to come in and select a piece and, and write a poem to that. Well, this last time, I, here's here's a, a poem um, uh, set next to uh, to one of my pieces, and I'm going, what? <laughs> Where did you come up with this? You know, how is that? You know, and I, I'll hesitate to say this, but how is that a valid interpretation of what's right there before you? I had no idea. You know, there was a. It was a, a wonderful event, or a or a shot, or or something like that, and yet it's completely different in the poem. I just find that that underscores what it is that you you have to say about that. When you let it loose to the public, you have no idea what's going to be coming back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> any any other reactions along that order? Well, I was just thinking that that's kind of a uh, interesting way that Lily Brooks Dalton had with having the mystery of not knowing what was going on. Let us, as readers, just keeping it open to um, an interpretation the whole time. It it made me keep involved as a reader with that mystery of not knowing what was happening. And mm-hmm. I think that I like that part of it. Yeah. About yeah. the message, how people took it like an ecological message. I think it was like at least subcon- subconsciously there. Mm-hmm. Like for Lily and um, like everybody else, like the readers, it, it's there and it's in everybody's mind. So it's like very normal that like you would relate uh, like the events to it. Yeah. You know what I enjoyed is the inspiration uh, where, where that whole notion mm-hmm. of the book came from. Here she is in a in a, um, a public um, radio station back in Vermont, and it's snowing throughout the you know all of winter. And one of the chores is to dust off or snow off the the uh, big satellite dish, and mm-hmm. so you can see in, in her own real life experience, you can see the roots of of where the where the storyline comes from. It's kind of fascinating. Well. Uh, the uh, book is called Good Morning Midnight, and it's by Lily Brooks Dalton. She is the author of this year's selected uh, uh, Salem Reads author. You can go to her website, lilybrooksdalton.com. She will be here in Salem on uh, February 28th to present her book and to present the winners of the Salem Reads Writing Challenge. Now, all of you artists, do you, if you've got websites, how, how could people get in touch with you, Eric? <laughs> well, um I don't really have much in the way of uh, electronic connections. I've got uh, some 
business cards. And actually, I let's see, what is my website? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, here we go. www. Eric West. It's spelled W U E S T. Artist, all one word, I guess. dot uh, blogspot. dot com. All right. Want to take a look at some of my work? Excellent, Glenda. Yes, it's my name, Glenda Goodrich. G L E N D A G O O D R I C H. dot com. All right. And I. Also teach art, so my workshops are on that page as well. What, what do you What do you teach? What I teach classes? mixed media. Uh-huh. I teach a process called soul collage. I teach kintsugi bowls ceremony with breakage and repair as a metaphor, mm-hmm. and um, some other. It's oh, all right. on my website. I don't. Mm. Isadora. Okay, I do not have a website or anything professional, but I do have an Instagram account. All right, and. This is very ridiculous, but it's mac and cheese salad. <laughs> <laughs> That's memorable. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, delicious. Um, yeah, lately I've been posting like sort of like comments about you know like society and all that stuff. All right. Very the, good. Yeah. Um, Kara, Kara Pilcher. Uh, well, I don't have a website, but I show my work at the Portland Art Museum Rental Sales Gallery, and they have a website. And then also at the local um, gallery, Lunaria Gallery mm-hmm. in Silverton, mm-hmm. and it's a great gallery with a lot of local work and Diane Trevette is also one of the artists there. She is. As a matter of fact, Diane's going to have a um, personal show out at Lunaria coming up February. Now, in closing, during my interview with Lily Brooks Dalton, I asked her uh, where the title of her book, Good Morning Midnight, came from. She replied that it was her reading of the Emily Dickinson poem that set it all in motion. Here is Good Morning Midnight by Emily Dickinson. Good morning, Midnight. I'm coming home. Day got tired of me. How could I of him? Sunshine was a sweet place. I liked to stay, but morn didn't want me. So good night, day. I can look, can I, when the east is red? The hills have a way, then, that puts the heart abroad. You are not so fair, midnight. I chose day. But please take a little girl. He turned away. Wasn't that fun? I hope you enjoyed today's rebroadcast. The first part of the interview highlights the book A Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. This was uh, the chosen book for the third annual Salem Reads event, which took place in February of 2018. Her book was recently released as a new movie, and it was retitled Midnight Sky, and it's sorry, and it stars George Clooney and Felicity Jones. I watched it on Netflix, and I really enjoyed the movie. Um, one of the things that I thought they handled very well were some of the more ethereal concepts uh, that Lily had expressed in her book, such as the wolf metaphor. It handled it very, very well. But frankly, I still don't know what happened to the earth. <laughs> At any rate... I I hope you enjoyed it. Now, bear in mind, that's a rebroadcast from 2018, so any of the time and event information uh, is no uh, no longer valid. So, coming up on the fourth Friday of January, that's January 22nd, what will I feature? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of program, 2021 marks the fifth annual Salem Reads event. Go to their website, splfoundation.org. That's splfoundation.org for the complete lineup of events. On my January 22nd show, the fourth Friday of January, I will be featuring a two-part broadcast again. The first part will be the interview I did this week with uh, this year's chosen author, Eric O'Gray, who wrote uh, Walking with Petey. Let me, let me read this. The book is Eric's memoir about being overworked, overweight, depressed, and sick. He went to a new doctor who surprisingly prescribed a shelter dog, and that's when Eric met Petey, an overweight, 
middle-aged, and forgotten dog, who, like Eric, had seen better days. The two adopted each other and, and began an incredible journey together, forming a bond of unconditional love that forever changed their lives. Walking with Petey is for everyone who knows the joy, love, and hope that dogs can bring. The second half of the broadcast will feature the artists of Salem Reads. Now, these are the artists who read Walking with Petey and were inspired to create works of art that interpret their own personal inspirations. So that will be the January 22nd show, the fourth Friday of January, on Talking About Art. Now, you can be notified of my next show and all upcoming shows and events by going to our Talking About Art Facebook page. Hit the like button and you'll get all the updates about shows and events. And you can also make any comments uh, that you wish that uh, that you'd like to make on that uh, Talking About Art Facebook page. Uh, go there and I'd love to hear from you. Just a remark about uh, what you thought of today's program, uh, ideas, uh, what you'd like to hear about in, in future broadcasts. You could post it all there. And that's the Talking About Art Facebook page. Or you can also just email me at talkingaboutart uh, at kmuz.org, and I'll add you to our uh, direct email announcement list. Our uh, previous streaming service, Radio Free America, has ceased operations completely, so we have adopted Online Radio Box at onlineradiobox.com, and so they are our new streaming service. Uh, go to onlineradiobox.com, and from there you'll see how to get to KMUZ. Bookmark that, and so you'll be all set for future shows. And uh, you will be able to access today's show in all seven years of, uh, of programs in the Talking About Archives at kmuz.org. Talking About Art is presented every second and fourth Fridays of the month, but on every first and third Friday at 9 a.m., I invite you to tune into Anne McBride's and Ed Shope's Theater Talk. Theater Talk is all about live theater in the Mid-Willamette Valley, and they feature interviews with local directors and actors. And they are followed by Real Film Snobs at 10 a.m. with hosts Angela Yeager and Brian Michael. They review several movies per episode, new, old, famous, obscure, what have you. It's always fun listening to them. Now, stay tuned uh, right now for poet Steve Slamenda's program, Poetry on the Air. His show features the poets and their events in the mid-Willamette Valley, and that starts just after 10 o'clock after talking about art. And yes, we are an all-volunteer community radio station that thrives only because of your financial help and support. So if you enjoy theater talk, poetry on the air, talking about art, go to the kmuz.org website, hit the Contribute Now button, and have at it. By the way, of course, your donation is tax-deductible, and I thank you very much for your support. The music I used today was by uh, Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 at creativecommons.org. I'll get today's broadcast entered into the KMUZ program archives, and then I'll post its link on the Talking About Art Facebook page when it's ready to go. Talking About Art is great, but now it's your turn to go out and do something about art. I'm your host, Joel Zag. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.